Because if money is air and I could help people make more money, I am helping the world. That's totally where the passion comes from. And I'm always a big believer in teaching a man to fish as opposed to giving a man a fish. You have the desire to create financial freedom, but you also want to make a powerful, positive impact on the world. This podcast exists to tell the inspiring stories of men and women who have achieved both, people who do well and do good. Discover proof that individuals have the ability to make a massive impact. Brought to you by your host, Dorothy Ilson. Hey everyone, my name is Dorothy. I'm your host and I'm so excited to welcome you here for episode 20 of the Do Well and Do Good podcast. My guest today is Esty Rand. Esty is the founder and owner of Strand Consulting, an LA-based boutique consultancy where she guides business owners ranging from freelancers to multimillionaires on how to earn more money with less headache. See, she does this by giving them piercing clarity on where to focus their efforts in everything from marketing to staff management. She's also the host of the Business Breakthrough Podcast, a really awesome show where she talks with entrepreneurs about the biggest challenge they're facing right now. I had so much fun chatting with Esty, and I know you're going to enjoy this as much as I did. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Esty Rand. Esty, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm thrilled to have you here. I'm so excited to be here and I love our rapport. I think this is going to be so much fun. I agree. Well, Esty, to kick it off, I want to take it way back to the beginning, actually all the way to your childhood. Set the stage for us. Can you share what beliefs about money, whether they be conscious or unconscious that your family instilled in you growing up? Sure. So they're a little scary. Um, I think that they were definitely subconscious for sure until like my mid to late 20s. But my brother said it best to me a couple of years ago. Money is air. If you are drowning and you have money, you will live. Now, that's completely nonsensical. That is probably the best description of how I was brought up though. That makes total sense. So really the idea that money is kind of that base qualifier of what you need in order to live your survive. Money is everything. And without it, you'll die. So then do you think that the mindset around money that your parents, your family kind of subconsciously created in you, was that helpful or harmful to you in your success? So I think it was both in truth. You know, it definitely gave me part of my workaholic drive it's hard to separate. I think when you hit a certain age, because your personality is so formed for me to know if I would have been a workaholic Otherwise, I definitely am. That's for sure. <laughs> you know, that, that I definitely am. I think a big part of that was the drive to always be earning, always be earning more, always be progressing and, and the need to keep getting more and more money because it's air and if I run out, I'll die. In another sense, I think it was harmful at the same time because it meant that I don't take risks with my money and I'm very careful to never be out of a job. Like there are some people, you know, they'll go and they'll stay in the brainstorming or whatever. And maybe they'll even go into debt. <clears throat> Terror, you know, um, ever, ever, ever do that because that would mean you die. And uh, in some ways, I think it did hinder my professional career because I'd be willing to take a lower paying job because I need a job back now. Right, right. So Esty, one of the reasons I'm so excited to have you on is because today it seems like there are coaches everywhere. Everyone and their mother is a coach. But you, Esty, you are the real deal. And your business is just such a huge success because of the way that you are really able to help your clients and deliver on the results that you promise. So take me back to the beginning of your story. Did you always know that you wanted to be an entrepreneur? I wouldn't have even known what it was called. I always knew that I wanted to get stuff and get money for my stuff. Like I'm just going into like a childhood headspace. And I started my first profitable business when I was 10 years old. And I've always looked at, like, if I have something, why would I give it away when I could sell it? <laughs> like, no, and, and I've given away tons and I've had a lot of good influences. I know we're going to get into that later on. So I was making these name bracelets and there was like another girl in the class also. Like the two of us were like the crafters of the class. And so we'd make these custom name bracelets like you would find on the streets in like Mexico, like those kinds, the string ones. So that's what we were making back a couple, couple of years ago when I was 10. 
And she would just do like whatever, however. And I was like, hey, I could sell these. I could sell them for money. I could get more efficient. I could take mass orders. And I started creating like templates and like getting my processes set up. And I was like, I can make more. I can make more money. I found my order forms as 10. You had templates and written processes for your business for 10. I did. I did because I realized if I let everybody totally custom order, it would take me longer to figure out each design because we would map them out on graph paper. Um, but once I was familiar with the design, I could blast it out much quicker. That is amazing. That's the kind of thing that most fully grown adult business owners don't yeah. do, even though it's so important. I still do this stuff with my clients. Like these are the, still the same kind of processes I'll do with clients where the client's like, yeah, so we do 15 different services. I'm like, these are the three that are most profitable. And if we focus on them, you're going to triple your income. Like, boom, you know that, right? Like, oh no, I never thought of that. I'm like, yeah, I did that when I was 10. I don't know how to say that. But conceptually, like I saw there was like, you know, themes. I ran another business when I was 16. Again, it's always, I believe business is an exchange of value for value, right? So when I was, I guess, yeah, I think I was like 16, 17, my senior year of high school, uh, let's just say like we were all pretty checked out. Well, most of us were already almost in college or done or whatever. And I was super interested. A couple of people almost didn't graduate because they just didn't show up enough. And they were like, two girls in the class who paid attention, took notes, and then everyone wanted to copy them. And these girls were really, really nice. They were super studious, really nice, let people borrow their notes to photocopy. Again, no iPads, guys, no smartphones, (laughs) Xerox, okay? Old school copy machines. And they were not in the building. You got to go out of the building, got to go down the block, find a place to copy it, sit there, turn the page. (laughs) This is like really old school. So, you know, me being me, I wasn't taking notes. I'm going to photocopy your notes so I can pass my year. And what would happen was already in the beginning, they started getting very nervous because this one's borrowing it for their friend. This one just for themselves. This one for them and their two friends. And like, they're like, okay, listen, guys, like we're nice, but you're going to destroy our stuff and we're not going to be able to study. And there would be this whole lineup of people waiting to copy these notes just for their individual people. That's never been my way. And maybe this is because we're talking about doing well and doing good. My vision's always been broader. And again, part to me of creating value is looking where other people need something, whether it is volunteering or it's paid services. And I was like, listen, I want these notes. I don't want to lose out. And I don't see why everybody is so unbelievably, whatever, not nice words, that they'll only do it for themselves or their one or two friends. Like, what is wrong with you people? Once you're copying it, you hit 50, it doesn't take that much longer, you know, instead of hitting two. And so I volunteered. I said, listen, and I'm trustworthy. I'll do it for everybody. You'll pay me the same thing you would have paid in the store. You'll get to sit nice and toasty, whether rain or sun or shine, and you won't lose any money. And I'll tell you right now, I'm transparent. I've always been in my business. I'm going to cut a deal with the store. It's a deal that you guys could never cut because you're only willing to do five copies at a time. I'm going to do everyone's. I might earn some money. I don't think you'll care. And everyone was like, amazing. Like, we don't have to leave. We don't have to do anything. You're going to hand us everything on our desks, like in nice little packets. All I got to do, again, order forms. Okay. So I'm taking order forms with all the people in the classes. Do you want this ones or that ones? Do you want both? What subjects do you need? You know, I got a whole system going. I made a couple hundred dollars, but the bigger thing was I got a full scholarship to business school. So that business kind of earned me like $25,000. What? (laughs) That is amazing. Yeah. Because I used it for my entrance essay. Oh gosh, no kidding. So one thing that I think is a really important lesson in that is that so often as business owners, we make it a question of, I have this thing, how do I sell it? When what you did and what really all of us should be doing is what does the market need and how can I provide that? You identified this need that was already existing. So there was a pain point for these people. They didn't want to go you know, make these photocopies. And then you figured out a way to solve that problem. It's the hardest thing when a business owner first comes with what they want and then tries to convince other people to buy it. I'm not saying it can't be done. It's so much more expensive. It's so costly. And my specialty is small business. In small business, you don't have that ability. Like I was working with one client and she had this whole 
I always blur my examples. Someone said to me recently, he's like, you know, what, I bet if I tried to find one of the people you talk about, I never could. I'm like, all right, you're never could. Like the examples are so mixed up, genders, locations, times, industries, like you'll never be able to figure out what I'm talking about. So let's say this client had like a gown business yeah, doing like, you know, high-end evening gowns and, and they weren't selling as much as we needed. And so I said, let's analyze the market. And we realized that where she was targeting, those people didn't want off-the-shelf gowns that were mid-range. They either wanted designer because she's like, they're paying so much more for the designer stuff and I can do it. It looks just like this cheaper. I said, they don't want that. They either want the designer label or custom. You don't have a market. You created something because you're like, hey, I got a great idea. I got these gorgeous gowns, just as high-end designers, but because there's no designer name on it, you know, I don't have to pay Vogue and Bazaar and every other fashion magazine and be on Fashion Week. I could do it a lot cheaper. I don't know the marketing costs. Um, so I could sell the gown for a lot less because nobody cares. There's nobody who wants this. The people who can't afford it can't afford it. People who can't afford it either want custom or they want this. You've got you've to work with the market. If you build it, they will come is, I think, the worst advice. <laughs> Uh, it's just not true. If you build what they are looking for, they will come. And you market it appropriately. <laughs> and you are, exactly, exactly. You got to let people know it's there. So one of the things that I teach is the broader marketing, which is so much bigger than advertising, but I have this thing that I created. Um, you can get it if you go to sdran.com. It's 139 promotional strategies. No way I define promotion. It's the aspect of marketing that you get people's attention. If you have created something that a market wants at a price that they want it, all you've got to do is get their attention. They're there. Esty, I want to go back a little bit to your story. After you, you left school, I assume the intention was eventually to always start your own business. But what did, what did your first job look like out of school? What was your path? So it really wasn't. That's the truth. That's the funniest part of my journey is that I've been in business since I was a kid and I never dreamed I would do my own thing. Because again, money's air. Money is not so reliable when you run your own business. Paychecks are reliable. (laughs) Paychecks are reliable. Exactly. So I always tell people you have the most financial security when you run your own business because you're not anyone else's whim, but you do not have the most financial stability. (laughs) So love that. Yeah. So that was never my dream because financial stability means breathing. Financial security is not, it just means you got to always be the best employee. And so I totally went out right away to find a job. And I interviewed at like Bloomberg. I actually was just renting a car from Enterprise recently. And I told them like, I interviewed at Enterprise. I loved you guys. (laughs) But I couldn't stomach corporate and I went straight into nonprofit. I think I always just needed to do good with whatever I did. I always needed, you know, classic millennial. What can I tell you? I needed to, I'm, I'm older millennial. One of the older ones. And I felt like it wasn't enough for me. You know, it's so apropos, right? To do well, I also needed to do good. Was there any sort of like internal conflict between your financial goals and wanting to work for a nonprofit and make an impact? Yes and no. I never had the goal to be like a multi-billionaire. That was never my goal. My goal, again, because when money's air... And, and I guess that's part of like, you know, because I started with that belief, like I'm measuring everything I say against it because it's on my mind. I don't need an overabundance of it. I need enough that I have it and that I have security that it'll always be there. My goal was never to be super amazing, wealthy and not know what to do with myself. My goal was always to have enough money times two, let's say, <laughs> like whatever I need and like maybe double or triple that, like that'd be fine. And so nonprofit's okay for that. And I always had a side hustle, always, at least one or two or three. What was your side hustle? Oh my gosh, there were so many over the years. Okay, so because I'm a crafter. So one of the things I did actually was cut hair on the side. Like one of my early business cards was like haircutting. I still do, I, I don't do it for money at all, like in the last decade already. I'll do it just as like, I do it for my kids and I'll do it as a favor for friends sometimes for whatever reason. And I also I specialize in curly hair. So people who like cannot get a normal haircut somewhere else, like I'll do it for them as a favor. I did, I did motivational speaking. That was one of my side gigs for pay. I did it for pay. That was another early business card. I used to do medical billing as a side gig because someone asked me, I'm like, how hard could this be? So I did that for a little while on my own, just like as a freelancer doing medical billing for some people. Um, what else did I do? Oh my gosh, I've had so many odd jobs over the years. I taught hip hop dance exercise classes. That was fun because like the instructor that I liked at the gym was out. I don't remember why but she was out. And I was like, oh, I can't find anyone I like. You know what? I could probably do this, but if I'm going to do it, I may as well charge for it. So I released the space and I like, you know, put up some flyers and I got money. 
Wow. <laughs> I'll turn anything into a business. I'll take any idea and turn it into money. That's just part of who I am. Uh, what else did I do over the years? I did um, database training. I've done some databases on the side also, like as a freelancer. Before I was doing my company, I was doing a bunch of the things that I do now in the company as like random freelance things. So I did some of that. What happened next? Do you, so you're working at this nonprofit. Where do you go from there? So I'm working at this nonprofit and I really love my job. I really love my boss. He was amazing. So much of who I am today is because of him. The fact that I reread every one of my emails at least once or twice and make them nicer is because of him. <laughs> like I'm more inclined to be very abrupt and very blunt. Um, and I always have to go back. Like all my emails start like, you know, hey, how are you? Or hey, thanks for this. Or hey, this is great. Those are always the afterthought. Like, you don't know when you get it, but I actually have to go because my inclination is to be like, what did you do with this? You know, even to my staff. So I'm always double checking myself. Then because it's a nonprofit, anyone who works in nonprofit, and we were talking before startups are very similar in this way. It's not really run by its founders. It's very often run by its board because it's run by its money because the money is the king. And the board hired a middle manager between me and my boss who I loved. And this guy, listen, I can only guess I think it's a reasonable guess, was very possibly threatened by me. And because really his job should have been mine, but they had a low glass ceiling, so they didn't give it to me. So they hired him and he took my team, took my trip to Argentina, which I'm still annoyed about, and basically told me I'm his new secretary. Not in those words. I couldn't do my job. He's like, basically, your job is my job. You're my new secretary. I'm like, but my team, he's like, your team is my team. I'm like, I'm the new leaving person. Bye. Wow. So how long did it take you to come to this decision that you were going to leave? Uh, so it was probably like four to six months. Like it just, it got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. The other people at my level, they're not as, I don't know how to say it. I need to be in charge. They didn't as much. They were in charge and they were fine being in charge. And they were also fine having someone, like they didn't love his style at all, but it didn't kill them the way it did me. Like for me, it was just a misery. And also he was totally after me, I think because of that, because they were totally fine to kind of step down as he stepped up. And I was just like, you wish, like, don't even, do you know how hard I worked to get this high in this low glass ceiling place? Don't you dare try to step me down again. Was there any sort of breaking point or, you know, moment where you decided this is it? There totally was. So things had been getting like from bad to worse. And just really intensifying work was becoming an absolutely miserable experience. I would like be going into the controller and like tears. I was like, he canceled my trip to Argentina. My controller's <laughs> like, SD, I've known you for like six years. Why are you a blubbering mess? I'm like, I don't know. I think the guy's really mean. It was horrible. He like hooked every single one of my like, ah, oh, it was so bad. I was a mess. And then one night, so like bedtime with my kids was like sacred time. You know, and this is again, even before smartphones, but like regular phones, text house phones that people still had in those days. I nothing, didn't touch anything. And things were so intense at work that right in the middle of bedtime, one of my coworkers called me and I answered it. And my husband just looked at me and he was, he's not bossy at all in this way. It was not something like that, but he's just like, you're quitting tonight. I was like, what do you mean? I can't quit. We don't have money. What are you going to do? I'm like, what are we going to do? Uh, because he was still studying. I was the primary breadwinner and we had three children. And I was like, I can't quit. <laughs> like, hello, do you understand job, money, air? Like, do you, do you understand the progression of how this works? And He's like, listen, not for you. Like, this is your value. You've never gone over this. In all the years you've been working, whatever you've been doing, this has crossed every boundary. I was like, you're right. And I quit that night. Wow. Did you know what your next step was going to be or was no it clue. jump? <laughs> yeah. No clue. I was terrified. I had one of these like inspirational calendars someone had gotten me. You know, kind of like you tear off a piece every day and every day is like another message. It was like what the butterfly thinks, what the caterpillar thinks is the end of the world. The butterfly knows is just the beginning. And like all these like, you know, it's always darkest before the dawn and like these kind of messages. And I would hang them up, but I will also snort at them. Like, <laughs> Like, that's very cute of you to say, but you're not the one who's drowning in the hole without the air, okay? I was telling you before we hit record that there are all of these just crazy parallels between our stories. And so I know for me, between the moment that I quit my job and had no idea what I was going to do, there was about five months between leaving that company and when I actually started my agency and figured out, okay, this is what I'm doing. And I know that those months were incredibly difficult mentally and emotionally. So what was that time like for you? How did you get through that? It was really hard. So because I've been working since I was, I mean, I've been working, working since I was like 16, 
I used to like assistant painting classes. Aside from my little side hustles that I did, like I actually had random part-time jobs as well. And it was like the first time in my life I had severance and I had unemployment at the same time. So we technically had money to live on totally for like five, six months. Actually better. Like we actually, we ended up buying a car with the extra because it was severance unemployment. I, we, we were doing very well in that time that it wasn't working. So I'm like, I'm, gonna, I'm done. I'm not working anymore. That's it. This will carry us. And then you'll be done with school and you're going to just, you know, figure out how to get a job that will support us completely. And like, that's it. I'm finished. I'm done working. Two weeks in. And, and that was what I decided I was going to do. I was like, I'm going to be a stay-at-home mom. I always watch the stay-at-home moms in the park or with your kids or walking around during the day. Walks around during the day. Like, what is that? You know? And uh, I was like, I'm going to be one of them. That's it. I'm going to be like relaxed and Oh my gosh, two weeks in, I finished every organizing project I had in my house. I was going out of my mind. That's when I started the hip hop dance exercise classes. Like I'm losing it. I need to do something. And so that was kind of the turning point for me where I'm like, I'm going to always work. And then it was like, what do I do? So it was a very hard time because I feel like I was very lost. I had been someone in that, in that organization and I spent so much time there. Like my main social circle was my coworkers. You know, and was, you know, we were, it was a multinational nonprofit. So I was in touch with people all over the world on a daily basis. And I do that now also, but, you know, there was a gap of a couple of years from like leaving until I was able to do that. And it felt so empty. I don't know if that's wrong to say because I, I do so value family and husband and children. It's not like I was alone in my apartment without a roommate. And I know there are people like that and that I cannot imagine. I don't know if I would have survived that. You know, but even with having family and having, you know, a couple friends who I'm like, hey, remember me, your long lost friend who's been a crazy workaholic? Guess what? I got time to talk now. Um, reaching back out to people. It was very empty. I had to really kind of find who I am now that I'm not the employee at this place. And what do I want to do next? So I started interviewing for jobs right away, like right away. I was interviewing for jobs. And uh, I couldn't find anything that I really liked that met my salary requirements at all. And then I started thinking, okay, you know, maybe I'll do so. I'd had this dream on the side. And my, my dream was to do consulting for small businesses. Because when I worked at the multinational nonprofit, they had hired a consulting firm. It's like a couple of years previous, actually, before I had left. And I hadn't thought about it then, but that was the seed. That's for sure what grew into my business. Because those guys said everything I said, they got listened to in ways that I didn't and they got paid more. And I'm saying, I'm like, I'm in the wrong line of work. Like, why am I not them? They get paid more. They get listened to. Like they actually, people, because they pay them more. So they're going to listen to them as opposed to me. Who are like, well, you're in the company. Like, just do whatever. Yeah, that's, that's a good idea. Do whatever I said. And I was like, but those guys were really expensive. They were totally unaffordable to small business. It was 2011. It was the beginning of the small business boom. And I'm watching like every neighbor and her pet dog start their own business. Like I'm a dog walker. You know, and everybody's trying to do their own thing and they're Etsy sellers and they're massage and they're taking their certifications. It was a very beginning. I had done a coaching certification a few years previous as well. The coaching certification was not then because I always wanted to help people. Always, always, always. And I absorb people's problems. I knew I couldn't be a therapist, even though like I would have loved to because I think therapists are amazing and they heal the world. I probably wouldn't need like full psychiatric help if I had become a therapist because I would just absorb everybody's issues. And so I'm like, okay, what's like therapy but doesn't deal with people's problems? Coaching. And to me, that's really a difference. Like therapy, you know, if you're here, if you're at baseline, to me, therapy is I dig deep. Well, it, not necessarily even psychoanalysis, but I'm going back and I'm healing old things or I'm analyzing backwards. And that's how, even in behavioral, I study a lot of different therapeutic methods, even though I don't really do that. But, you know, behavior model, all these things, even though I'm changing companies, it's based on understanding the past and digging deep and trying to fix that. And to me, coaching is, listen, I'm totally going to acknowledge where you came from. I'm not going to ignore that, but I'm all about going forward. It's like, where do I want to get to? How am I going to get there? Yeah, yeah. So like, I understand that's where we were. Not my job to fix that. My job to acknowledge it, understand it, figure out how, even with that, we're going to get you to that next place as opposed to get you better at baseline. So I had that coaching thing. And I, my degree was in marketing and I'm watching all these people. I would like see magazines with ads and I'd see the ad and some of it was local weekly and some of it was, was even national. And I'd be like, that was such a waste of space. Like you can recognize sometimes even in the national magazines, you see like a small business or a nonprofit like sticks their ad in and you're like, oh, like, you know, it's such a waste of money and time and energy. And the best was after I started my business, some of those people came to me, hey, I don't know if you saw my ad. I'm like, actually I did. And you got zero calls from that. I'm like, how did you know? I'm like, because I saw your ad. <laughs> and I, it was just the wrong place, wrong time, wrong ad. Like everything about that was wrong. And that was my passion. And it's so funny that you started with your first question 
Because if money is air and I could help people make more money, I am helping the world. That's totally where the passion comes from. And I'm always a big believer in teaching a man to fish as opposed to giving a man a fish. So as opposed, like all of my charitable work, which I know we're going to get to, has been enabling in a good way as opposed to just gifting. So how did you get your first client? Uh, so my first client actually was before I even started. So, oh, I forgot about this part. So while I was still working full-time, because I'm nuts and I always had side hustles, after I finished my coaching course, I already started getting clients. Like just friends would refer people to me. In the very beginning, one of my earliest business, I always had business cards. I've had so many, I have like a little collection of all my business cards from over the years. Uh, Vista Print and I have been very good friends since the 90s. And so one of my early cards was organizational and financial coaching. That was one of the first things I did because I'm super organized and I'm very good with numbers. And it's so funny because I'm such a strong creative and marketing person, but that's part of the oddball that makes me me and that makes my company, my company that we, we do everything. And I, I have all different people on my team, but I oversee kind of the big picture of it all. So my early clients were either financial or organizational. I ended up being somebody's bookkeeper at some point. It was really funny. Not like in QuickBooks, but just kind of like helping her manage her finances and creating this whole system. So I was already doing this. I was my first client was just a friend said, hey, I see, I bet you'd be good at this. I'm like, okay, sure. I probably would. You know, and I went in there and I remember the first time, like it was like $50 an hour. And I was like so nervous, like, oh my gosh, that's so much money. <laughs> you know, like, and the client was like, yeah, that's fine. And I was like, it's fine. That's fine. Oh my gosh, really? That's fine. And it was like, I think everybody had that the first time you quote a rate to someone. And it's not that I hadn't been doing freelance work, but everything I'd done up until then was maybe $30 an hour. You know, whoa. Um, and even if you break down my salary, it was obviously higher than that, but that's a salary. That's not when like you go to a random person and you convince them to pay you. It's just different. Yeah. And so that first client at 50 was like, whoa, major, <laughs> major, major. And then my next client I got because, okay, should I tell you the story? Yeah. story. So when I decided I was going to launch this business, so after my little stint with the dance classes and the, I'm going to be a stay-at-home mom. No, no, I'm never going to be a stay-at-home mom. Nothing against them. I happen to look at it as a certain type of ideal that like I just cannot be and making peace with myself and who I am and what my strengths are. My family is much happier if I work. They would not be happy if I was home all day because I would not be happy if I was home all day. And I think everyone just has to do what they're best at. So I decided I'm going to try all these different things. So I take a job at a business brokerage firm. I took a job at MMA Global doing sales support, sponsorship sales for like their massive trade shows. And I'm like, I'm going to try this little dream, right? Because remember, I can't, I can't just try my dream because... And it's such a joke because remember, like you said, like, did it hinder me? I had severance and unemployment. I had like five or six months where I was totally covered and I still couldn't just sit and work on my dream. I took those jobs right away. I was already doing them. I said, I'm going to start on my dream though. On the side also, so I put some ads out in a local weekly and that I'm going to do a workshop. I always, because again, I'm all about value and I'm seeing all these people are trying to start businesses. I'm going to do a workshop and do a local workshop. I'm going to charge like $10, $20, like something like ridiculously low. And people are going to come and I'm going to tell them how to run their businesses. And it's going to be amazing. And I think every entrepreneur has this when you first open your doors because yeah. you're like, everyone's going to love this. And I got two calls. That was it. And it was so embarrassing. And so, you know, I told those people, you know, after I realized like two days before that no one else was going to be calling and no one else was going to be coming. I called them up and I said, Hey, thank you so much for signing up. You know, I'm so sorry. We're going to have to reschedule because nobody cares. And I'll let you know when we, we reschedule the workshop for, uh, but I'll keep your name and, and thanks so much for your interest. Da, da, da. Fine. What happened was because I had run it locally, local people started stopping me. Hey, SD, I hear you're doing this thing. What is it you're doing? You're helping businesses. So even though I never ran that workshop and people, would, by the way, I didn't tell anybody about those two people. Like no one else knew. So we'll be like, how's the workshop? I was like, great. Because I was in bed in pajamas. It was excellent. You know, like, listen, there's truth and there's truth. I'm not going to lie to you. Be like, yeah, I had 30 people. I would never make up a story. At the same time, I also don't have to tell you it didn't happen. If you press me, I'll tell you it didn't happen. But if you don't press me, I'm just going to say great. And we're all going to move on because you didn't care to begin with. It's like when you ask me how I am and I tell you I have a headache, you didn't really care. You didn't even hear me. You know, like, so you ask me, how was I say, great. You didn't even hear me. Like, you don't want my story. Well, only two people called and then I like, you don't want it. So I'm not going to give it to you. And so I was like, great. And then we moved on. So my next client came because she saw my ads and she's like, Esty, what is it you're doing? And I sold her. So now remember I had this one client 
oh, I'm giving away all my secrets. I had this one client, but I had done a lot of the things for this first client that I had gotten just from a friend referring her. So I started saying like, okay, well, I did this for a client and I've done that. So now it sounds like I might've had more than one client. All the things I did were a hundred percent true. Just wasn't maybe so super clear who they were done for. Plus I had done all these things in my job. I just, I basically sold her. I, you know, based on like the client I had already had and the work I had done at my, at my profession, because it was a, a database. It was a business systems and organization. One of the earliest versions of my company was called Strategic Business Systems until someone said, SD sounds like a database company. I said, it isn't. They're like, no, don't you do marketing? I said, yeah, but I do marketing strategically. I create systems for marketing. But like, SD sounds like a database company. So, you know, we did a whole rebrand like three years and that was my second client. And then from there, it was just like, you know, third and fourth. And each one builds on itself because I'm all about finding what the client needs. And so I started doing these workshops. I would do them sometimes for pay, sometimes for free, piggybacking on other organizations, a lot of nonprofits who would, you know, and different communal organizations. And I had an average of like a 33% client conversion rate from these classes. And that's where most of my clients came from because I would just show them what I could do, show them how I could help them. And I would start, I started building my offerings same as when I was 17, around what people wanted. Someone would come to me and say, Esty, can you do this? I would say yes. And that's, that would be the thing I then did. So Esty, uh, we're going to get into how you give back in just a moment. But first, I'd like to go tactical because in case there are any small business owners listening, could you talk a little bit about the impact that platforms like Facebook and Instagram have had on the ability of small businesses to really get in front of their potential customers? Oh my gosh, for sure. It's a game changer. There has never been a better time to run your own business. I really believe that everybody should have a side hustle. That's my personal belief. I think everyone should have their own business for two reasons. One, why not? If you could have more money, like why wouldn't you? My belief. And two, you have no job security in 2018. Like none, right? You could be replaced in a second. Your company, like the most, you know, someone who worked for Kodak 20 years ago, one of the most stable companies in the universe. You could never have imagined, you know, someone who was a travel agent, 20 years ago. Hello, who could live without a travel agent? Travel's only getting bigger and better. So we can't predict what the next breakthrough is going to be. And so I really think everyone should run their own business. And social media sites like Facebook, Instagram, I want to say LinkedIn because I'm super, super active on LinkedIn. That's my main, that's my mainstay. And I, because in our company, we do social media ghosting and social media strategy for people. So even though I have on my staff, like my Instagram master and my Facebook master and, my, and each person, like their expertise... I need to master every platform myself to understand how it works, to understand what would work for each client and figure out where they're going to go with it. And so I first did Facebook. Facebook, okay, just where we stand, fall of 2018, Facebook is being absolutely obnoxious to small business owners at the moment. I don't know what it's going to be in three or six months because I don't know what the repercussions are going to be for what they're doing now. But they are absolutely making small business owners' lives a misery. So let's say until now, or until about a couple of weeks ago or a month ago when they started their new like, Facebook is for friends thing. And they started like, you know, using their algorithms to like filter out people who were using it for business and using it to kind of advertise or generate leads. And now they, people who are using it for business are finding their numbers way lower. Like the algorithm's brilliant. Like they really know what they're doing. When they want to cut you out, you're out. And they did it before with the fan pages and they did it. Groups still touch and go but they're not being so kind. But the ability of all social media for anybody to get a direct contact with their audience. You know what? I think it's easy. I always find stories the best illustration. So one of my clients is a, like a small niche clothing line. And not major, like million dollars in sales. Like one of these little guys. And like million dollars in sales, little guy. But for, for a clothing line, it is. Because you know, you're talking that just your cost of goods, like just, just your product is somewhere between like 40, 50, 60%, depending how good you are. So a million doesn't, doesn't mean you're a millionaire, that's for sure. And uh, you know, she had been mostly selling through stores, trying to find local retailers and, and different shops. And it was, it's a niche clothing line. And we ran the numbers and she has an online presence, but her online sales are very low because part of the deal she has with her retailers is that she will not put her products online until they're in retail for two weeks. So she'll hype it up online, but then everyone's got to go and she has a list of the retailers on her site and everyone's got to go to the retailer to get the stuff if they want it immediately. And that's kind of her deal with the retailers because they're like so many, so many clothing lines and, and many products. They'll get their start in retail by getting into retailers. And then as soon as they're popular, they'll move it online and they basically, you know, say the retailers, forget you, <laughs> to put it mildly. And people get annoyed. So she says, no, I'm not going to do that to you. I'll even take two weeks. And... Uh, 
we basically looked at the numbers and <laughs> she's earning, oh my gosh. Okay, so let's just do stats for a second. 83% of sales are wholesale to retailers. 17% of sales were direct to consumer. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Profit, 53% retail, 47% online. That means for 17% of sales, it's 43% of her profit. I said, you could chuck 80% of your retailers and just get them mad at you. Move to online by putting the stuff online first and you will earn double. Wow. It's like no brainer. But how do you do that? Social media. She's like, no, but you don't understand. Part of what I have with my retailers is they really know the audience. And so I'll bring them you know, the pre-designs and they'll give me feedback. And this is super, super common in the industry. It's like, guess what? How big is your following? What was that? Oh, 20K? What was that? Yeah. So do you think if you put some of the sketches online to your following and got their feedback, do you think that would be just as valuable, if not more? She's like, oh, that's an opportunity a small business has today that they never had before. Yeah. And it, it is true. I mean, I my business is Facebook advertising and it really has become very difficult for businesses to succeed organically on that platform. It's becoming more and more pay to play every single day. Um, That's why, by the way. Exactly. Exactly. That was, that's everything. That's exactly what they keep doing. And people need to be aware of that. You need to be aware every time you're using social media, if you are not the customer, you're the product. Yes. If you're not paying, that means you're being paid for, which means they can do whatever they want with you. They sell you. And that's exactly what they did with fan pages. Everyone built up their fan pages, built up their following. And suddenly it was like, nope, if you don't boost your posts, ain't nothing going to come your way. And it's happening again. So yeah, I'm 100% with you. I do think it means that small businesses just need to evolve and get smarter in the way that they're using these platforms. So for example, I or episode 10 of the podcast was with Rachel Miller, who is an organic marketing specialist. And one thing that she shared is that in the current you know, Facebook algorithm, it's comments that really drive how much your posts are getting shown. And so if you can do things in your organic posts that are going to get people to comment, whether it's posting sketches and saying, you know, comment below, do you like A better or B better? That is going to make sure that those people and those people's friends are going to see your posts more frequently if they're at all connected to your page. And so when you get people commenting, not only are the people who comment going to get more reach when you post, but also other people who are connected to your page are also going to see things more often because Facebook knows that people like it. Totally. And we can't ignore chatbots if we're going to talk about Facebook because that is where so many businesses are moving to. And then whether it's organic or paid, you build the whole thing on comments, right? So I'm saying, I'm sure you've talked about this before with your listeners about chatbots, but if you post something that you're offering something to people, whatever that giveaway is going to be, just put your name in the comments, say, I'm in, and I'll, we'll send you the link. And then you plug that into your chatbot. So then two things happen. One, that post keeps moving because people are commenting because they want your thing. And you keep commenting on their comments. So you keep moving it. And then you've got all of them in your chatbot. So you don't have to then keep going organic. And you know what? Chatbots are going to get saturated just like everything else. So you have a very small window for any of these things. And that's, I think that's what happens with everything. Marketers ruin everything. <laughs> yeah, marketers ruin everything. They ruin the whole world. But you're absolutely right. I mean, chatbots are massive right now. And the level of engagement and eyeballs on your stuff that you can get through a chatbot versus just email blasting. Email is absolutely not dead, no matter what anyone says. It is the largest online marketing platform that's out there. Exactly. But chatbots are very, very powerful and only getting more so. Esty, I definitely want to get into the way that you give back because I think that it's so creative and it's really tied in so intimately to your business. So could you talk a little bit about what you do to make an impact? Again, because my belief is so much teach a man to fish as opposed to give him fish, the way we typically give back, and it doesn't mean we don't also give monetary donations to various causes, but our main give back is we do either free or subsidies to clients that are sent through various nonprofits because they have a business idea or they even have a struggling business that if they just got some help, they'd be able to earn their own money. So as opposed, instead of sending money or even sending food packages, which so many people can do, we'll take them as clients. And that's, that's our main give back. 
What are some of the biggest mistakes that you see these nonprofits making? Uh, which ones? The one that sends me clients or the ones that I work with as clients? <laughs> the ones that you work with as clients. Um, I think the biggest thing, and again, this is because this is my angle. I am going to be repetitive for anyone who's ever heard me say this everywhere else. A nonprofit is a not-for-profit business and people forget the end of the sentence. So a nonprofit and a for-profit are the same thing, just flipped, right? A business does a set of activities in order to earn money. That's pretty obvious to everybody. A nonprofit gets money in order to orchestrate a set of activities. Both have money, both have activities. Both are types of business. And the biggest mistake I see nonprofits making is they forget that and they just, they act like a hobby. Your business, act just like a professional business. Every single thing should be the same except for where you reinvest your profits or how you get your money. Most nonprofits survive on donations even when they're quote unquote self-sustaining. And I do work with my nonprofits to have some level of income streams. They don't rely solely on donors. And I don't consider a cause match or whatever these campaigns are to be a self-sustaining income stream. That's still donations, just a crowdfunding as opposed to you know a big donor, um, what we call the big ask. You've got to run like a business for so many reasons, but let's just take the one that really gets to the heart of every nonprofit because your donors are business people. And so you want to speak to them. You want to come across as someone worth investing in. Speak to them in their language. Again, you're not, you're not a business person, but you are a professional. You know, they can look at you and feel comfortable that their money is going to be used well, as opposed to just thrown all over the place because you don't know what you're doing. How does working pro bono with these nonprofits, is that really intrinsically tied, I would imagine, to creating fulfillment in your life? Could you talk a little bit about what fulfillment means to you in your career? So in my career, the fulfillment working with someone pro bono as opposed to working with a client is pretty much the same. That's the truth. Fulfillment for me is when I've helped someone be more successful. That's for sure. And if I can help someone who can't afford it versus someone who can, you know, some of my clients are working with me because someone's... I've had a few clients that have actually... This I'll do also, but this is not my donation. This is someone else's. I'll get clients that are subsidized and they'll never know. They'll just be quoted a lower price. They'll be given a, a deal, quote unquote. And someone else... It's because someone else reached out to me and said, hey, SD, want to connect you with so-and-so. I'm going to sponsor half their project or I'm going to sponsor... And some people have said to me, what do you think is reasonable for me to sponsor? And I'll always say, I believe that everyone has to pay something in so that they value what it is within what they can afford, but people don't usually value what they don't pay for. When you get something completely free, it's like, okay, whatever. But even if you pay a small amount for it, and as a marketer, you know, that tactic, you know, as soon as you open your wallet, you're much more inclined to pay more. But from the, split, the, the flip perspective, as soon as you pay money, you ascribe it a certain value because you've exchanged value and you're looking to make sure you get value in return. And so there's always some level of split, even when someone says like, I just want to sponsor this guy. Like you can't just, sponsor this guy. But, you know, even up to 70%, we can like, you know, work out some kind of a thing with him. So like, he'll never know. And we've done that as well. But when I, when I have a client who says to me, either their business is so much more profitable, or sometimes it's not the money, the money's going well, but their life is a wreck, you know? And so we'll do systems, we'll do staffing, we'll do business organization, we'll do work-life balance. And what I call, you know, for 2018, it's not work-life balance necessarily. It's just work, work balance. How do you get all the work in? You know, how much time to spend on biz dev versus staff management versus actual, you know, work hours versus, and every, every industry is different. Like I work with everything from clothing to massage therapists, from nonprofit to accountants. Like there's a huge range in my client base, but the business principles are always the same. And you work in order to have a good life. So why would you give up your life for your work? So when someone has a better life, either because the money is better or because now they can actually enjoy that money, they're not up till four in the morning and still not done and they get the right people in place, I feel amazing. I love that. So Esty, thank you for everything that you shared with us today. This has been such a fun conversation, but unfortunately we're running out of time. So I'd like to move into what I call the impact round. So I'm going to ask you a series of short questions and I'd like for you to just respond with the first answer that pops into your head. You ready? Ready. Awesome. So who has been the most impactful person in your journey to do well and achieve financial success? I can't say like for my whole history, but I've got to say for sure in the last 10 years, my husband. Aww. <laughs> and he, he believed in me in ways that nobody else could because he was putting his own lifestyle on the line by encouraging me to go out and to do this and to really live my dream and do a good job at it. 
Yeah, you really can't overstate the importance of a supportive partner. No. So then who has been the most impactful person in feeding your drive to do good and make an impact? I don't know if I could say his name, but I'm going to say his initials. His initials are N-O. So if he ever hears this, he'll know it was him. I've known him since I was a teenager. He was a mentor of mine from when I was in school. Oh my gosh, how do you open up and be super vulnerable? I feel like I should. I think you should. So he sponsored therapy for me as a teen. And that was the first time someone had ever, like, again, I can't say he was a stranger. He was a school mentor. Um, and it wasn't, there was nothing inappropriate there. He knew that I didn't have the money. He knew no one that was connected to me was going to pay for it. He subsidized it. I still paid some. And that's, that's, I think, where my whole model has come from, you know, where I subsidize for people. And we, we have very open home, like a lot of guests. And, you know, I've taught in schools and so has my husband. So a lot of students that we've subsidized mostly therapy, but also like, you know, different educational opportunities, helping them subsidize different continuing education or courses. And he totally started that for me. You know, and I always think, I don't know where I'd be without him. I would have never done it. That's amazing. And I firmly believe everyone should be in therapy. It has had such an incredible impact on my life. And yeah, so plug for therapy. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I'd never, ever be who I was. My dream for my children is that I can raise them well enough that they won't need therapy. And I'm kind of getting to the point where I think I could do everything right and they might still need therapy because it's just, it's just the world. I don't know. Like I can't protect them from everything. For sure. So Esty, when you're having a bad day, what do you do to get yourself out of the funk and in a better headspace? Music. Music. Always music. Either some kind of like bright bubble pop or hip hop. And then just kind of dance around, get my body moving, get my blood flowing. But the music saves me always. What book do you find yourself recommending to people most often? Emeth, Michael Gerber. Love it. I recently read that one. Really, really good. Amazing. I think it goes through so much of the entrepreneurial struggle that most of the people that I meet face. And he really breaks it down in a very digestible way. Then what is the best piece of advice that you would give to my listeners? Keep your eye on the ball. You know, nobody goes into business saying, you know, I'm going to work like a crazy person for seven years. I'm going to destroy my health, my family, all of my relationships. And at the end of it, I'm going to be a multimillionaire and lonely and very sick. And then I'm going to spend most of my money either on divorce settlements, trying to find somebody new, trying to remake myself or heal my health or fill it with a bunch of meaningless objects so that I feel better. But so many people do that, even though nobody ever thinks they will. So my biggest advice is look at the end game. Look at where you want to end up. And my favorite story is the story of that fisherman. You know, guy, he's like out in his boat and he's catching fish with his little net. And then he comes in, you know, somewhere around like two o'clock and he meets a businessman at the shore. And the businessman's like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm done for the day. He's like, but you can go catch more fish. He's like, but I have enough fish. And he says, well, but if you would catch more fish, then you would be able to sell them. He goes, and then what? He's like, and then you could buy a bigger boat. He says, and then what? They catch more fish. And then what? And then you could buy a factory. He's like, and then what? He said, and then you could relax. He's like, what does it look like I'm doing now? <laughs> Wow. That's an amazing story. And I always think about that. You know, we work harder and harder and harder. So I can finally relax when I retire at 65. Guess what? Nine to five until you're 65 died in the eighties. And we still live like it's the fifties. It doesn't exist. Relax now. You're never going to relax otherwise. I completely agree. Well, then Esty, as you know, here on the show, we have what I like to call the do well and do good challenge. So this is where we encourage our listeners who want to do more to give back to contribute to the nonprofits that are nominated by our guests. So could you tell us what organization you are nominating and why it's so meaningful to you? Sure. So there's an organization that I've done quite a bit of work for. It's called Sister to Sister. And it's an organization that supports women of divorce, I guess. I, I don't know exactly how they write their mission statement. I didn't look at it recently. And I guess for me, you know, I always think as a, a mother wife, there but for the grace of God go I. You know, I, I still relate to their plight because I feel like I could be there and I hope never to be. I always say, I don't want to get remarried because I'm married. I want to stay married. <laughs> I don't want to have to get remarried. And it's a huge struggle. It's so hard to be in business today, even when you have a partner, but especially if you've had children. And even if not, when you're on your own, if you've always been on your own, you have your own defenses, you have your support network, you have your people, you've built up this environment that works for you. If a person has been in a, a relationship and I'm going to say marriage, there is a different, there's a split. And everyone knows as soon as their friend gets married, it's like, bye, it was nice knowing you. You know, it's just different. They could be dating for three years and living together. As soon as they're married, you're like, hello, where'd you go? Because it's different. You created this new thing. When that ends, you're lost. 
you know? And, and if there's kids in the picture, oh my gosh. And so I support them from entrepreneurship and supporting, you know, female business owners. The organization does all whole different range of services from various different kinds of support, sometimes legal, sometimes with children, like all different kinds of things. And they're just amazing. And uh, I just, I like helping people. I love that. Well, we'll definitely link to that organization in the show notes. And Esty, before we say goodbye, where can our listeners go to learn more about you, about Strand Consulting and to follow your content? So go to sdran.com. And there, if you want, you can download my 139 promotional strategies. It's right there on the homepage. I got some cool courses coming up telling you how to not be taken advantage by marketing charlatans and do more of your marketing on your own. And my podcast, Business Breakthrough with SD Rants. You are listening to a podcast right now. So as soon as you are done, go hit the search bar, search for Business Breakthrough with SD Rant and subscribe to my podcast. But you could also see it on sdran.com. And there's links to my company, Strand. But Strand is like a very static site. Um, at strandconsulting.net. There's not, not much changes there. So if you want to see what I do, look, it's there. But if you want to see like new stuff coming out all the time and different things that are happening, sdran.com, E-S-T-I-E-R-A-N-D.com. Awesome. And I will second that. If there are any business owners listening right now, Business Breakthrough with SD Rand is an amazing podcast. I listened to, I think I binged like four or five episodes in the last <laughs> week. And it's so cool because you really go deep with each entrepreneur on what their biggest struggle is right now. And it is so actionable, so powerful. So everyone check that out. Aw, thank you. Dorothy, this has been so fun. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming on. It's been awesome. All right, everyone. That's our show. Now, before I sign off, I want to introduce any new listeners to the Do Well and Do Good Challenge. You heard Esty nominate Sister to Sister. So if that organization or any of the others nominated by our guests especially touch your heart, then I encourage you to make a contribution. Once you do so, send a screenshot of your receipt to challenge at dowellanddogood.co. Your donation will be included in our monthly tally of the tangible impact this podcast is having. Now, the second way you can participate is absolutely free, and that is by voting. See, each month on the 1st, we host a vote inside of the free Facebook community to determine which of the organizations nominated that month that I will then donate 10% of my advertising agency's profits to. It really is a great way to make your voice heard. And we've been able to donate money to some really incredible nonprofits. So definitely head inside to the Facebook group so that you can vote just here in a couple days. You'll find that at dowellanddogood.co backslash Facebook. I'll see you on the inside and thanks so much for listening.